0: I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of purepleasureshop.com. I'm April, VP of the cutting-edge sex toy company Hot
1: Octopus, and I dedicate my life to the business of sex.
0: We are on a mission to teach you how to have hot sex, deep intimacy, and how to make your own rules for who you are as a sexual being. Welcome Welcome to to the Shameless Sex revolution. Revolution forget to head on over to our website shamelesssex.com for more and for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys use coupon code shamelesspp in all caps at purepleasureshop.com
2: you are listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com
0: well hello everyone Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. We are live from the apocalypse.
1: It's burning. Santa Cruz is on fire.
0: I really hope that this, because this is actually, we were recording this maybe five days before this is going on air. Yeah. And I hope that by then, by the time this release, things aren't worse and it isn't the apocalypse, but it sure looks like it and feels like it in Santa Cruz. Everyone
1: out there in listening land, send positive thoughts to everyone in California with suffering from a... Smoke
0: inhalation
1: and, and, houses, and, burning. and houses burning oh and
0: yes, it's a very scary time. But yeah. we're putting out all the good energies. Thus far, April and I are safe. I have some relatives, friends, etc., that are in evacuation zones. Uh, we know people have had houses that are burned. So. Yeah, we scary. are we're kind of on edge right now, so sorry if our intro's a little shaky. Yeah. All we need now is an earthquake. I'm saying no, no that can't happen. Knocking on this wood yeah. armrest right no. here next to you. Mother Nature. No just Mother give Nature. us a break. We love you. But the good news is Dr. Nan is back. Dr. I Nan's awesome. Love her. And this time with John, her wonderful husband. I forgot how many years they said they've been married, but. 1975, they met. What? And when they were, he was 17, 17, what did he say? 17. 17? And he said it was love at first sight. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a beautiful We story. don't want to spoil oh, it. Oh, sorry. You'll hear And So they're not just talking about their relationship. But, you know, Dr. Nan is a neuroscientist and a sex therapist, and they give all kinds of tips for juicy relationships. They're uh, top tips. And she's been, like, polyamorous in her relationship. The monogamous. Yes,
1: yeah, All of that. And things. then... Uh, what did, what did she call it? It was... Uh, Consensual non-monogamy. Or,
0: or ethical non-monogamy. Ethical, thank yes. you,
1: non-monogamy Yes, as yeah. well. So lots of good info for you.
0: Lots of good tips. So stay tuned. You will learn whether you're in a relationship, whether you'd like to be in a relationship. Your dog is staring at me with a look. What is his look saying right now, April? Play with me.
1: Love
2: my,
0: me. My ball. No, I'm my No, you're in doggy training too. My dog's in dog training right now. He's in trouble. <laughs> He's in trouble. <laughs> All right. So are you ready for a sex question? Yeah. Wonderful. This is also is a testimonial. This sex question is titled The Sex Sleeper. Mm. Dun 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 I'm intrigued. I love you both and this podcast. This podcast has made me feel so confident in bed. Allowed me to open myself up to new sexual experiences that I have maybe too, may have been too scared to do or written off before like anal choking, being dominant, dirty talking and deep throating, which I now love and has helped me speak up about what I want in bed instead of purely living to please my partner. My question is, as a heterosexual vulva owner, how do I deal with my male partner sleeping for what feels like all day after a sexual session on the weekends? We both work Monday to Friday. So during the week, there is no issue. You, as it's usually pretty late at night when we have sex. During the weekend, however, sex kind of just springs up on us and often feels early in the day. The sex is amazing, but my partner sleeps for hours after, and I'm kind of just stuck spending my weekends alone getting housework done while he rests. I understand that when a man ejaculates, his body reacts differently than when a woman has an orgasm, but is there anything I can do? I thought of trying to have sex purely at night, but when my partner gets excited, stopping him puts him in a crummy mood because he I've never said no to sex with him before due to the fact that even though I'm not, if I'm not turning the moment, he can turn me on pretty quickly. Please help. That's really the sex sleeper.
1: Well, I'm intrigued. I wonder hours and hours. Wow. I
0: know. Me too.
1: That's like, what is it? Narcolepsy. Narcolepsy.
0: The sex, but sex induced narcolepsy. Where you're just like, I I can't get up. The first thought that I had is that, okay, well there's two things that came up. One weekends. I wonder how much it is – I don't know if it's entirely related to sex. Maybe that's like he just wants to rest on the weekends too, and sex inspires that. Or he does go into a little of the sleepy refractory period, but it is this long period of time. So I'm wondering, how old is your partner, first of all? Uh, Because with age, refractory period can get longer and longer and be more exhausting and depleting, and there's no age given here. And I'm curious about, is it just that they just needed some time off and now that they're all relaxed from the sex that they finally get to go and have many hours of rest? I'm thinking maybe he just wants to get out of housework. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't want to do the day he's like you know what I just need to nap
1: right now no I, I'm yeah. just
0: way too tired to help you with the vacuum
3: <laughs> yeah
1: I'm going to pretend I'm sleeping right now and snore really loud and yeah. then when the vacuum's going I'm going to like
0: watch that Netflix movie I've been dying to see Um, I don't know <laughs> oh, it was the sexist
3: I'm
2: sure,
0: blaming I it on I the swear. sex Oh my! well so I've never heard of someone after sex sleeping all day me neither and I, and I like that this person, the the partner who wrote us, is saying in the beginning, they're saying that they're speaking up more for what they want. I'm wondering, have you actually spoken up for this and actually check, or check in with your partner? Like, what's up with this? And ask them... After we have sex, I noticed that you have to sleep all day, and I'm wondering what that's about. Do you feel really exhausted and drained after sex? Is this something that's been around for a long time? Like, did your partner used to do this before your relationship? Is it a decompression after your work week? Yeah. Are you just tired? Like, would this actually, does the sex help to inspire something that you need anyways? Uh, as opposed to you just doing you, cleaning, doing all the chores, and wondering what the hell is going on. And then the part about how you you thought about not having sex with him in the daytime and then initiating at night instead, uh, and then you don't want to do it because you don't want to put him in a crummy mood by rejecting him. And so again, there's an opportunity to have a conversation there. I have a plan. What's your plan, your master? <laughs> <She> for, this, <laughs> for this person. She looks like she's got a genius I plan. I say
1: conduct an experiment. Okay. It's Monday. <laughs> It's night. Yes. You both just got back from work. Put on whatever feel it makes you feel sexy, whether it's nudity or if you have some sexy shoes or a fanny pack, whatever you're into. <laughs> and bang it out with your partner bang and it. then see if he goes straight to bed or if he's like we want to make dinner now and then you'll know if it's just, if it's just to get out of the house <laughs> well, but here's, I okay, I like this
0: I like this I like the tassadia, but they do say that they do have sex in the evenings on weekdays and it's not a problem cuz oh. they go to bed right after Oh, because they go to bed. So it's early in the day. So I'm assuming they don't ever have morning sex on a weekday, and it's only on weekends. Morning. So sex in the morning then on a weekday? On a weekday, or just you can just suck his dick and see what happens. Yeah, Yeah. and so there's some ejaculation happening. Yeah, and then see. That's another question. Is it? Yeah, I think that's good. April. So April (laughs) says, April saying, don't have the conversation. Just do a research project. Right. Do a research project (laughs) first, and then if it happens, then have a conversation, or have the conversation first and then do the research. I'm like. Do, uh, have the conversation and then do the research <laughs> and then well, maybe well no maybe do both. Really, hey there's all tools in the tool belt how here. How about you do both? Yeah. Or you could do the research but the, see, the thing about the research is they, then you could build a case and be like see I told yeah. you. Well <laughs> you wouldn't want to build the case and be mean about it right? James use... sex told me to spy on you. <laughs> I put a camera in that teddy bear over there. Ooh I wonder what if he's masturbating while he's passed out in the bedroom well, <laughs> while we're you're making all sorts of stories up about this. Oh my god this is the mood we're in. It's, there's Outside everywhere, okay. We're losing our mind, yeah. Okay, true. so April says, Do some research, give a uh, Wednesday morning BJ. And if he can't go to work that day because he's so tired, then you know what's up, yeah. And I say, Sure, do that, do that. Why not? Because everyone looks good morning BJ and have a conversation and ask this, this what's going on with, with them. Is it just get really curious about it without you don't have to be you know angry, upsetting, pointing fingers, just. Really, what's I'm noticing that this is happening. What is this about? Has this been here before? Would you be open to trying things in a different way, having sex at night on Friday or Saturday instead in them in the morning if it's really exhausting you? Also, it sounds like you have a desire to be connected with your partner, so I would speak to that, too. Hey, when you're passed out all day, I really miss you. I really want to spend time with you and be connected with you on weekends. How can we work together on this? Also, I feel like I'm pretty alone doing all these chores. <laughs> do you mind helping me with the vacuum? I saved the laundry folding for you. Yeah, like You're this welcome. This huge pile. I, or when there's when they're passing the bed, you just dump all the clean laundry on them. Here you go. Yeah, your turn to fold. That's the worst. No, don't do that. I
1: think this is a good plan of yeah. action.
0: The sex sleeper. So you have
1: two different avenues, or you can take
0: or both. The both avenues. Time yeah uh, let us know how it goes send go us an email Boulevard. send us an email we want to hear all about it about even your sex sleeper yes i like that name. Oh, um, okay sleeper. one other thing i want to, to say i think is really interesting i walked in and said this but uh, we april and i next week are going to be in a, a virtual trade show so now trade shows for sex toy events are now virtual just like bernie man's virtual bernie man is now virtual so we're talking about everything is gone virtual <laughs> it's, we're just yeah. on our screens all the time don't forget to take breaks from your screens everyone i'd say go outside walk, but I I literally don't even want to walk to my car. I worked out today and
1: it was very hard. Like, I was uh, panting and breathing.
0: It's not the time for cardio here. Right. Yeah. Or you want to read a bio about one of our favorite guests. Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan. Oh, and so in the bio, you won't hear information about her partner, John, but he's absolutely wonderful. And he joined her her for this episode. They're just starting to do more work together. I think they said that they've worked with couples before. Mm -hmm. They've led workshops. Uh, They have a really beautiful symbiotic relationship.
1: Yeah, he was great. They are a great couple. Hashtag life goals. Hashtag love you. Nan Wise, Ph.D., is a cognitive neuroscientist, professor, licensed psychotherapist, certified sex therapist, board certified clinical hypnotherapist, and certified relationship specialist. After almost 20 years in clinical practice, she became driven to understand how the brain creates moods and behaviors in relation to sex and other aspects of human experience. Having returned to academia to pursue a PhD in cognitive neuroscience, she is now a cognitive neuroscience researcher at Rutgers University in Newark. She is the author of the book, Why Good Sex Matters, and has contributed her expert opinion to outlets such as National Geographic, The Atlantic, Time, Glamour, Women's Health Magazine, The Washington Post, HuffPost, Romper, and Bustle. Don't forget Shameless Sex, too. To learn more, visit... Ask That's A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-N-A-N.com. But first sun's out buns out and hopefully your pubes are not manscaped offers all the right tools to keep your hair groomed above and below the belt the perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the water resistant body trimmer the lawnmower 3.0 and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine this is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a pectoral
0: pruning or a testy tune-up Manscaped also just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring stainless steel tools to keep your nails looking as great as your balls. Manscaped has got you covered and is here to help you up your grooming game from head to feet and bush to balls. Also, for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. And as always, Manscaped is giving our listeners 20% off and free shipping with the code shameless at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. When you use the code shameless, go get it while it's hot. And now back to the show. All right, everyone, it is episode time, and we are here with Dr. Nan. I think this is her fourth time back on our show, question mark? I think so. Third or fourth? Third or fourth. We're obsessed with Dr. Nan. If you've heard past episodes, you'll know why, so... Uh, and this time we have Dr. Nan's beloved, wonderful partner, John, here too. And they're here to give us their 10 top tips for juicy relationships. And some people, when they hear the word juicy, they're like, ooh. Or some people are also like, hmm. How do you feel about juicy, April? Do you like mm. juicy? How do you feel about the word moist? I don't
1: mind it. A lot I'm of people not weird really, about moist. I don't really get hung up on different words. Uh, I love the word fuck. Balls. Cunt all of it the words that really irritate people uh so yeah juicy is great juicy is a nice way to describe something it sounds like it's delicious and lush
0: Ooh, juicy we like juicy all right well we are going to start with the question we always start with dr nan you know what question this is john maybe you're a little new to this question tell us your life story about how you got to where you are today in this journey in your relationship and in your field, the field of human sexuality, and your ability to talk about your top 10 tips for relationships.
3: I'm a person who has a lot of anxiety, so I've spent my whole professional life learning how to help get out of the anxiety and into the pleasure, and to help my clients um, manage their moods, So I was a psychotherapist and a sex therapist for about 30 years and went back to grad school at the tender age of 50 to become a cognitive neuroscientist. And I filled in the gaps in the literature, some of them about the sexual brain because we're really, really very inhibited about sex even in science. And it's been the most fun journey and actually the relationship healing work that I do is probably my favorite stuff. So I'm a certified sex therapist, a certified relationship expert, a certified board-certified clinical hypnotherapist, and a researcher and the author of Why Good Sex Matters, understanding the neuroscience of pleasure for a smarter, happier, and more purpose-filled life. So this man next to me, I started dating him when we were both 17. 17. So I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about his journey. I, I major in anxiety, and, and he need the inability to have pleasure. And I think I'm getting over that. I'm really,
2: really teaching people how to have fun,
3: juicy fun, sexy fun, fun, fun in and out of the bedroom. John.
2: Well, we'll start the story when I turned 17, and I was set up on a blind date by my best friend with his uh, girlfriend's best friend. And it turned out to be Nan, and I fell in love that night. I knew that my life had changed forever at 17 years old. I didn't know how I was going to deal with it or what I was going to do. But I knew that I had met someone very, very, very important to my life. And uh, we went away to college for four years, separated. And then we came back together after four years, and we started living together. And we've been together ever since. Yeah.
3: And while we were separated at college, we weren't separated, we just had to do long-distance relationship. We were each other's first lovers, first lovers, not last lovers. Oh So we've been together We've been together since 1974, and I think we lo- lost our virginity together after a couple of months. I was probably 75. And we were monogamous for 20 years. So we did monogamy for 20 years, we've done responsible non monogamy for longer than that. And at the end of the day, he's my best lover, and my best friend and we're, we've been really, really, really lucky. We have grandchildren, we've had a couple of different marriages, meaning when you get together, when you're young and you're building your lives and you're getting kids, well, not getting kids, you make kids. You bought that. <laughs> we, it takes a lot of money to raise them. Each one of them would have cost about a beach house. But, uh, and then we, you know, we were always interested. John was a psychology major in college. And even though he became a lawyer, he and I did a lot of relationship like Tantra workshops together. And we always found that by being dynamic with each other and taking a lot of risks, not that it was always easy, but we always found a way to bridge the gaps between where we were as growing people. That's how I would put it.
2: Good. We've also been very willing to talk with each other a lot about uh, sexual subjects and uh, life goals, you name it. We talk a lot compared to most couples.
0: That's so rare to talk to folks who met at 17, fell in love, are still together and now are grandparents and have been through this whole journey have done monogamy, have done different variations of non-monogamy are each other's best friend and best lover. Oftentimes you, maybe that's, maybe it's a great lover for a little bit but not necessarily best lover and best friend at the same time. And there's that confusion with the overly over attachment stuff versus too much individuation. So I'm so excited to have you here and I just love, I think people are listening, like, I want to be that. Well and also what is the
1: secret though? Yeah, what's the I, secret? Obviously there's not one key that unlocks the door to all of this what i would consider to be successful uh partnering with someone uh that would be my opinion but what do you think the secret is if you say communication i will smile and nod but She's i know like, I that's want, part of it more i like need more of course but it's- <laughs> I,
3: I actually think being the scientific person i am even before i went back and got the phd i was always interested in What are the tools and skills that successful partners have? And there has been research done by this. John Gottman and his wife, uh, Julie, did all of this research and studied long-term relationships. And they saw the effective skills of partners. And I think when I say we talk a lot, it's not just how we talk. It's we, years ago, learned how to really give each other sessions. And I write about this in my book, how to give a session. And a session is a very specialized kind of communication where only one person can talk. The other person's there to just really listen, hold the space, collect what you're saying like jewels and giving it back to you so you get that they're getting it. So their job isn't to listen to you, to argue with you or convince you or make you wrong. It's to listen to you in a way where you can really hear yourself in a way that really lets you grow and shift and deal with your own bullshit. Because we have a lot of bullshit stories that we tell ourselves and, and just listening and somebody tolerating our feelings That's the number one lesson I think we learned as partners and as parents. When you can tolerate your feelings in regard to whatever's happening, and you can tolerate your partner's feelings and then their feelings about your feelings and your feelings about their feelings, then you can let the feelings be information, but don't get hijacked by them. So we've been giving sessions to each other formally and informally for, I'd say more than 25 years. We learned this years and years ago. And I'll give you the best example. I came home one day, John came home one day about 20 years ago. He didn't look good. And he didn't look good. So I said to him, do you want to take a session? And what that means is it's a very specialized container that has certain kind of rules about how you do this. It makes it a very safe container. And we agreed that he was going to take a session. And he said to me basically, I can't stand coming home to you. Wow. Now had that just been in a regular conversation, I would have been like, what are you fucking moron? You think you're a party too? It would not have gone well. I would have gotten, you know, defensive. And defenses are really the problem. And I I, I don't know if you remember that session. I do, I do. I listened and I listened and I listened. And some of it had to do with me. And that was important for me to know what he was having some issues with. And then a lot of it didn't have to do with me. So he shared a lot about where he was and what was challenging in his life. And, you know, so we've grappled with, he's had depression, I've had anxiety. And you know what, that's typical. People have to deal with all sorts of things. And since I think we had that superpower, it even allowed us to deal with some of the challenges when you do polyamory, when you have more than one relationship, because if anybody thinks that's a solution to having relationship bliss, it's going to be creating a lot of problems. So, you know, you got to really realize that if you want a more than one relationship, you got to be really good at relating. You got to be extra, extra good.
1: Do you know each other's love languages? Have you ta- do you have open conversations about the ways you can align or are they the same? Because that comes up for me a lot with, with my partnership. Our love languages are totally different. And so it's, it's, it's difficult to drop in and figure out sometimes, hey, why aren't you honoring my love language? You know what it is. And, and same for me. I just was curious because that's something that keeps coming up in my partnership. So I want to be as successful as you two.
3: Yay. And I want that for you too. So I think part of understanding kind of the individual differences that we have in our wiring, for example, our attachment styles, like I'm a anxious, preoccupied. So I go after when I'm anxious, I want to know and I'll pursue him and he's, his style is a little bit more avoidant. So Every couple has their perpetual problems based on these individual differences, How they, what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel secure, what they need for themselves, how, whether they value togetherness first or separateness, how they handle conflict. So I think one of the most important things that we've learned over the time is to respect the differences and understand like, what Gottman says that that partners who take a slow start up to conflict, usually women are a little bit more likely to step into conflict quicker than men, but there's individual differences like that. So if you look at gay relationships or whatever, there's one partner who has a little bit more trouble with tolerating conflict. So for me, one of the biggest things I learned because of my anxiety, I always wanted things to be a certain way, and I would get really upset. Like for example, if he didn't pick up the the car when it with the with the front wheel drive when it was gonna snow, and I would go ape shit, and I would go right into, ah, you can't do that because that would just shut him down. So. When I learned to say to him, and this was a profound thing that happened in my thirties. I, I learned to say to him rather than jump right into it, honey, do you,
2: do have, you have a space, space to hear this, mm-hmm.
3: to deal with something that might be a little anxiety provoking, or you might get angry at. Yeah. And he would say to me, yes or no. If he didn't, we would pick out, you know, We'd another. Agree,
2: agree to a time and have a conversation.
3: Yeah. And I also think one of the big differences, uh, Men in general who accept influence from their partners, because men are taught they have to be independent and strong and agentic. And if they're feeling emotional or needy or whatever, that may make them feel weak or uncomfortable. So men that learn to accept influence from their partners, they do better. So a lot of that was him getting more comfortable with kind of like working with me, to understand what was important to me. And also, I think a big big thing for you was for him to feel safe, he needed to feel independent. So that was where our conflicts, he would want to do things on his own or make decisions on his own or kind of keep things from me because he didn't want my influence. So he wanted to feel safe more by having autonomy. For me, I wanted to feel safe by having more control over what was happening so that was ultimately the perpetual gridlock problem that went on for pretty much the whole of our relationship but now because we're aware of it we've loosened and softened and we can have fun with it we don't and if things don't go well we'll go oh don't make a federal case about it that didn't work out so well (laughs) and I, I just think you can like by developing its tools and skills and habits that we cultivate. So what would you say in terms of your top 10? You were you had a lot of good ideas for your top 10 things. Well, you
2: mentioned the idea of being open to influence. I think that's a big thing for men is being available to the influence of their partner or uh, uh, intimate uh, partner and uh, being willing to change and granting your partner the same freedom, there's that word again, Mm -hmm. Uh, freedom to change and be a new person. Uh, Those are two of the things that I uh, really value in my relationship. And I think uh, those are two skills that you need to have to have a successful relationship.
3: And men tend to have trouble asking for help. Back in the day, remember, well, before we had smartphones, men wouldn't ask for directions. Men always think that they're supposed to muscle through So I think a lot of the breakdowns that we used to go through, and and by the way, in relationship, when you're having a breakdown, meaning things aren't working the way that you think that they should, it's actually a sign of the relationship working to bring to your awareness Mm. stuff you need to cultivate and develop yourself to become more whole. Mm. So, you know, the ability for him to feel more comfortable asking for help and also taking my influence, I think was a big learning. And for me to realize, like, I needed to, oh, I know a big one. I'm a little critical. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, because my anxiety, I wanted things a certain way, and I would go right to the problem, and I would give him, no matter what he did, I would go right to the thing that wasn't done or needed to be done. So I learned, and this is also from research, to try and give four, five, six wins and positive strokes of appreciation before I would get into being critical. So actually being critical is, is as bad a relationship offense on a regular basis as lying, cheating, and all of that. So that's, that was something I really needed to balance for myself.
0: Did you ever I have a question about that, the critical piece? So I'll ask John this. So because there's this dynamic here, you know, that Nan knows to give you four or five uh, positive affirmations and then say the critical piece. So when she starts saying some positive things, are you like, oh, but what are you going to say next? Did that ever happen? Did that ever start to happen there?
2: It does happen, but it really does work if you if you give someone a couple of pats on the head before you tell them, "Hey, I need you to work on this thing." Uh, you're going to get a better response than if you launch right into, and, "And here's the thing you've done wrong," or "Here's the thing you've disappointed me in." Uh, even though I know it's coming, uh, I I appreciate her ability or her willingness to set it up in a way that will work for me. Mm-hmm. What's up,
0: shameless sex fam? Is your sex life important to you? Hmm. What about your relationships? And also...
1: We give you simple, simple solutions and a framework that you can use. You can customize it to you. Yes, you gives you the tools the right tools for your sex and relationship so you get what you desire. And it's fun. It's playful. Right, Amy? We're always. It's kind of sexy. And did I mention how easy we make it for you? You have to check out Shameless Sex. Plus the testimonials, they're coming in from everywhere. And this book has helped people just like you recreate and create the sex life of their dreams. So you can do it too. Go to, where are they going, Amy? Shamelesssex.com. Oh, how easy is that? Just go to shamelesssex.com and click on the book, okay? And you can get it however you choose. If you, you want, want a it, hardcover,
0: yeah. audio? Yeah, hardcover. We got you hardly yeah. covered. <laughs> Yeah, so even if you know there's, like, a formula there, there's, it's still genuine. She's not bullshitting. She's like, oh, I appreciate you for cooking lasagna. And, you know, she's actually finding genuine appreciations. And even if you know that there's a tool here, it still is genuine. And then there's going to be, here's what I'm asking for, or wanting more of, or less of after. That's the
1: shit sandwich we've talked about. <laughs> and, like, the where you, like, have the shit in the middle. Well, and you mentioned Gottman. And we've had um, an, an episode about, like, the the seven guidelines for great relationships, but the relationship killers from Gottman criticism's number one, right? Because it's attacking the persons. I actually sent this to my partner. I pulled it up on my phone. because I was like, these are the relationship killers, the four horsemen, which is criticism because complaints are fine, but criticism attacks the person, not their behavior. Right. And then there's contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. And those are the things that are relationship killers. And I, re- I know sometimes when I'm like, fuck, I'm totally stonewalling. Cause I'm so mad and I don't know what to do. And I'm such a critic as well. So um, th- are those some things that you would also concur are, uh, are relationship killers? Or would you add anything to those?
3: And I think what that hinges on is the ability for us to recognize in ourselves and each other when we're in distress, which is we're activated, it probably even we stimulate something that's not what's happening right now. And when your partner's in distress, if they're really like discharging distress, like saying things that are critical, what you can do, and this is also one of those skills, is to take the center space and say, I hear that you're in distress. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like you might be a bit triggered. Would you like to take a session? Mm -hmm. And then you create it.
2: You're kicking into it the into container, another box. Yeah. and
3: when you take a session, the rule is the person who has is taking the session is the quote client. They don't get to say uh, like you are bad, or you know they got to say I statements. And the only restriction there is to really try, and the person who's listening to give them back what they're actually saying, not interpret because we do a lot of interpretation. I think first and foremost, you need to be able to regulate your own emotions. And when people understand why I wrote the book, really is to give people a kind of idea of what's out of balance in their core emotions, if they have a lot of defenses, a lot of fear, rage, panic, grief, that they can understand that enough to be able to work with it and regulate their own feelings. So when the person who's listening just gives back what they've actually heard. No interpretation, no suggestions, no, nothing that like takes it out of really what the person said. So it keeps it very simple and very basic. And the key is, is if you really listen to somebody deeply, they'll hear themselves in a way that will give them insights and breakthroughs. So it's really about having that ability to understand your own emotional. Wiring your own core emotions and be able to to soothe yourself and breathe and be able to stay present enough to really, really hear. That's
1: that's a great point, Nan, because. Sometimes I'll say something that I don't believe would offend myself if I, if someone said that to me, and either my partner or let's say a friend or someone will be so distraught by the comment, like they thought they thought it was a personal attack. And we've talked about Amy and I have talked about this before when we've done any um, workshops on uh, kind of improving your relationship communication, where it's like there's ten different people lined up. You could say the same thing to each of those ten people, and you will get. Get 10 different reactions. So in your relationship, I love that bit of advice to repeat what you heard. And sometimes you repeat what you heard and it's absolutely the completely opposite of what the person has done. I try to apply that. And sometimes my brain's working so fast as I'm in a communication or a session with my partner that I'm like, all I heard was like a personal attack on myself. So I love that advice and just like taking a moment, listening and then repeating, but it's true, right? Like the 10 different folks. And I'm sure with neuroscience, you, you understand how, how different, regions of people's brains fire at different times based on their, their, their experience or who they are.
3: Exactly. So based on our experience and stuff that becomes under the hood that we're not even aware of that gets triggered. So when you re what I, when you say to somebody, what I hear you saying is this, that, and the other, and it's not what they're really saying, what they get to do is correct you and to correct you in a way so that you get the nuances. And they also start to think through their own nuances. So when he said to me that day, I can't, you know, I can't stand coming home to you. As he unpacked it, it was way more complex because it also became like, I don't like how I feel because I feel like I'm disappointing you. So it wasn't all about me. It was about what he was feeling, as I recall, what he was struggling with. And likewise, you know, when you have that ability to be heard, and somebody really pays good attention to you, your feelings can peak and release. And then you can let go of more of those emotions. So often in a session... One or the other of us will end up having like a little mini emotional orgasm, like I'll start crying or laughing or having some sort of like release. And this is like key. And we've gotten so – it's become so much of a habit for us that we kind of automatically do it when we go out walking in the morning. The walk and talk is a great tool because as you're moving your body, you're using up your adrenaline – And it's really important to pay attention to your bodies when you're speaking, and when your partner is speaking, because if you start to feel something strongly in your body, chances are it's not about what's going on in in the present as much as something perhaps old or another experience even that you have with this partner has been re-stimulated. And one of the cool things, like what I've added to these traditional active Listening exercises that I believe were first developed by um, Hendrix, who conscious loving Jimmy I'm is to say. <laughs> well, there's there's Harville Hendrix, I think it's him, and then there's Gay and Catherine Hendrix, spelled differently. Well, and then there's Jimmy. I always make that joke. That totally <laughs> <good. laughs> you can add to it. What I'm noticing on my mind when you're speaking, what's on my mind what's going in my on in my body what's what's my emotional weather so you're tuning in you're self-attuning and your partner then gets to really see and understand and feel empathy and understanding and very often even if your chronic problems are never going to exactly be um resolved because everybody has perpetual problems just based on differences, you know, and how we are, you are able to feel the connection and the empathy that the solutions become a little bit more obvious that you don't have to even fix it, but you find workarounds basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I, I love anything that includes embodiment. Okay. So one thing, one thought came up for me, when uh, you're processing with a partner, and this could also apply to a friend, say your friend says something you're, or your partner, is, and you're offended, you're hurt, and you know, they call you a name, they say you're a princess, and you're like, oh, I don't like when you call me princess, so you say, well, how would you like it if I said the same thing to you? First of all, in my experience, the response is always, I would be fine with it. <laughs> um, and even even though if deep down the person is, is actually having empathy or compassion for your experience. And I, think, I don't think that in, in my experience, it's a helpful thing to say, you know, well, put yourself in my shoes. How would you feel? It seems like uh, that, that's me kind of taking it outside of myself and asking them, like, just see me. Just, just see where I am. It seems like there's a... A better approach that most people are not taking. You know, well, how would you like it if I did this or the X, Y, and Z versus if you actually really question, what am I really looking for? I'm really looking for it to be heard and understood and
3: seen. And it seems like
0: that's kind of like the meat of most of it, right?
3: Exactly. And that just raised a very important lesson that I learned and also comes along with the literature is it's our job to take a stand with our partners. So, for example, if John called me a princess,
2: all right? Or if Nan called me a princess. Or if I called
3: him a princess. uh, It's my job to say to him, it doesn't work for me. When you use that kind of term for me, and to do it in a way where you're not making a federal case, you're not just diving into getting all pissed off like, who do you think you are? You're a princess too. Or you're, you're a little Lord Fauntleroy. And then it doesn't go well. So what you get to say is, and it's on me, one of the things that I think I needed to learn and, and a big part of our issues, sometimes I was too afraid to take a stand because of my anxious attachment style. And because he would kind of give, kind of avoid me, not avoid me, but when I would get very like all fired up, he'd walk away. And so I would be afraid, I'd get like triggered, oh my God, I can't really pursue this because he's gonna get mad and he's gonna you know, withdraw from me. But learning how to take a stand in relationship for what we want and need. And if you don't do that, it's another big relationship offense. It's as bad as being critical. And the way you wanna take a stand is to do it in a very calm way. Ask the partner to work with you And to basically become a very nice broken record, because this is where, for example, your chronic problems in a relationship will come up if it's something that the partner does doesn't work for you. So if you could say, for example, it doesn't work for me, like my issue with John is it doesn't work for me when I ask you to do something, you say yes, and then you don't do it. That's like one of our issues. So like I've learned to say in a very calm way, like a broken record, it really works for me better if you say you're going to do something and you do it. Mm. Or if you don't want to do something, you tell me you don't want to do it. So you don't make a federal case out of it. You don't say he's a jerk because he doesn't follow through you realize this is the dynamic that you have with that particular problem. And guess what? If you leave that relationship, you're going to find a whole other set of problems with the next relationship. And a lot of my clients talk about, well, he or she should know. They should know this is important to me. So for example, April, if your love language is different than your partner's and there's some um, sort of chronic sort of stuff around that, Rather than judge that he should get it or he should know, you can just make it like a great opportunity to keep bringing up what you want and what you need without making the federal case.
0: Okay, time for a quick break. This podcast was made possible by UberLube. It's a luxurious silicone lubricant that enhances sex and intimacy. We receive emails from listeners who have tried UberLube, and the feedback is unanimous. We never knew lube could be this good. It's also less likely to throw off the pH than most other lubes, and there are thousands of doctors recommending UberLube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks experiencing dryness. UberLube is
1: without a doubt my favorite lube. It has no flavor, no scent and feels absolutely amazing on my body and it isn't just for sex i use it to tame my hair frizzies to prevent chafing and i even put some in my mouth before an oral sex session totally ups my blowjob game oh and the bottle it's beautiful it looks like a cosmetic product so i just leave it out on my nightstand totally shamelessly To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off plus free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com
0: and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast was also made possible by omgs.com. OMGS is a research-based online program that teaches you all about how to pleasure the pussy. OMGS studied thousands of vulva owners to find out how they orgasm and then made beautiful animated modules and super honest short videos to give you ways to reach even more pleasure. I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and it's been changing their lives.
1: We all know pleasure is fluid and ever-changing, so why not add more tools to your pleasure tool belt? OMGS is for everyone, so whether you are a vulva owner or you just love vulvas, OMGS will give you the techniques to get your O-face on. There are two seasons to choose from and hundreds of gorgeous videos to explore. So go see what science says about pleasure and visit omgs.com slash shameless. That's omgs.com slash shameless to get $5 off your OMGS access. Again, omgs.com slash shameless. Go check it out. Now back to the show. Uh, absolutely agree. And I do so So much much work around around not shooting people and also not using the superlatives. You never do this. You always do that. Those, those are the, I also believe in my experience with my relationships in the past mistakes that I've made, and they don't get the messages across as much as they would if it's instead of you always do this, taking it upon yourself to be like, I'm feeling hurt.
0: And they and also discredit it what just, the times you have yeah. done something right. I'm doing air quotes with right, but wouldn't say you never do this, like, are you sure that it, but I've that's never not done true?
1: That? Because I, I, sure I, I always
0: show up. But
1: <laughs> that's just a an example for, for me. And I don't know if if you feel into that in your partnership, uh, John and Nan. But uh, do you do the always never, or do you leave that out when you are having conflict?
3: When you do always and never, you know you are in distress. So if your partner is saying you always do this or you never do this, that's a a kind of a a indication that they're in some kind of distress. So I think if you listen into that and it sounds like they're really upset, you can offer them the opportunity. It sounds like you're really upset about this. Would you like to take a session? Would you like to talk to me about this? And I'll just listen. And then what happens when people can kind of know that they're you know going to be heard. We're so hungry for really being heard and really being understood. And this was the same way when our kids were teenagers, especially my daughter, Julia Fay. She was a handful as a teenager. And, you know, she would have distress and I would listen to her without making her wrong. And she really got it. She got that she could tell me everything and stuff that was very triggering to me. And I would hold the space and realize that her distress isn't exactly meaning that that's who she is. She's having those feelings. And if she can speak through those feelings, share with us, because sometimes the kids had issues with our lifestyle too. One time, Julia said something to the effect, why can't you just get divorced like the other parents? Ooh. Because we had other people in our lives. And as it turned out, there was, people used to think that, oh, my God, what about the kids? We came out in Esquire magazine in 1999 about being polyamorous. And people had so many reactions. What about the kids? Like, it's like some kind of terrible thing. Now, obviously... You know, that was people's distress, but we were able to listen in like if, you know, Julie had an issue and she had a complaint, I would be able to listen to her, you know, and not like try and shut her down because it was upsetting for me to hear. And a lot of her stuff had nothing to do with our lifestyle had to do with being a teenager, which is not the easiest thing. You know, so it was really a good tool. It really helped us as parents and really, really helped us as parents have being able to tolerate our feelings about their feelings. And that teaches kids to learn how to tolerate their own feelings so that they're not always having to change the channel or rush away or drug it away. Mm. Because feelings, if you have them, they peak and release. And if we look at our grandchildren, the two boys, one is three and the other is one. When they get upset, they cry Mm -hmm. and they peak and they release. We don't, my daughter-in-law and my son are really great about letting the kids. So you're sad, Johnny, or you're mad, Max, rather than helping them identify what they're feeling instead of trying to like get them off of it. Let them have their feelings. Feelings peak and release and they can be great information. Like we can, when we're angry, usually it's because we feel like trespassed in some way. So listening into what we need and want and taking a stand with the partner to work with us Mm -hmm. and then having some fun and Mm. being able to play, Mm -hmm. care from from the emotional systems, care, play, and lust equals fun. Mm. In fact, when you can elicit play, you're going to get much more in touch with, you know, lust and fun together. We've been really, really lucky. And
0: I, I... and I'm on that note, since we only have a couple more minutes of the show, you said lust and fun. And you said that this is your best friend, your know, John and Nan, Nan and John, as well as your best lover. So you know, with a couple of minutes in mind here, what would you say? You, these are all things that are, would you say all of these tools and all these practices lead to the great passion and great lovership that you have? Or are there other things that you'd like to offer our listeners about that?
2: Well, for me, I'd like to add, uh, very important to ask for what you want. Don't expect your partner to mind read. Uh, I think that's been the the biggest key to our sexual success is being able to ask for what you want and negotiate a a win-win.
3: And I would add, like what I talk about in my book is riding the desire curve. When you first get together, generally, there's this huge explosion of lust, which is spontaneous sexual desire. And then when you're together for, you know, 18 months to three years, something like that, it tends to kind of level off and people freak out. I'm not in love anymore. I'm going to go chase the buzz. Well, guess what? That's not love. Love is really a conscious decision to being loving to your partner. So the lust, you know, my heart doesn't beat quickly when he comes into a room. I don't like fantasize about him after how many years is it since
2: 1974?
3: 114 years. Yeah. When we we were in college and we were separated and we get back together, like after, you know, when we'd visit on every couple of weekends, we would have sex all weekend long. That's, New relationship energy or for? Yeah, you have to ice your vulva. That's happened to me. It hasn't happened in a long time. I used to be like, I'm I icing my vulva. Ice vulva.
2: I wouldn't unpack until Sunday afternoon. I'd get there Friday, but I wouldn't even bother to unpack.
3: And I lived with honeymoon cystitis all through college because I kept having so much sex. I learned, by the way, here's an important tool. Pee always before and after sex.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: if you're having sex for a long time, get up and pee again. Mm-hmm. That will really decrease that honeymoon cystitis. Stuff. And ice the vulva. Get a pack of frozen. Ice that vulva. vulva. <laughs> ice that vulva. <laughs> and I'm so glad you said ice the vulva and not just the vagina because you got to ice it all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, I think sexual potential, meaning being able, able to stay in an alive you know, sexual relationship comes from taking risks, comes from really being able to be separate yourself, get turned on by your life, and then being able to bring home. You used to say you can never fuck the same woman twice.
2: Right.
3: Because, you know, you're changing and you're growing. You know, like you, you come back together. And that's where you need, you know, when you think about responsible non-monogamy, because people are free to have, in some instances, sexual love relationships with other people, what they learn is that how to manage that new relationship energy, mm-hmm. and not think that's love and run off with the other partner. It's like take that energy home and slather it all over your, you know, your primary partner. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of ways, even in monogamy, to do long-term erotic potential, and that's to be very alive, Mm -hmm. alive. A lot of what I'm hearing that
0: you're saying too is just don't take it personally. Like one thing you just shared here, you said, you know, looking at John that I, I don't remember your exact words, but is, is essentially like, you know, when I, when I see you, I'm not like, Oh, my pussy is just throbbing. And I think some people expect that to happen forever. You know, 70 years later, you should see my naked body and your genitals should be get juicy, wet or hard. And if they, you say that they don't, I'm offended. What's wrong with us? We're broken. And I like that you're one talking about not taking it personal, just knowing it really isn't just Nothing, nothing wrong with the other, with your partner at all. It's that we habituate to people. We change. They change. We change with the relationship. We find ways to create newness and freshness. And yeah, what excited us five years ago might be different now. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with anyone. It's now an opportunity. And this is another thing I'm hearing from you is that a lot of these things that are people look as problems are now opportunities to do this deeper work. And through that is all this this communication, this really connected communic- communication, processes.
3: And I think that's really important, Amy, because a lot of times women in long-term relationships have a little harder time to access their active sexual desire. And some of the partners take it really like personally, the men. So I always say whining and complaining is not wooing. And if men, this is also why I wrote the book, is if you understand that there are individual differences, men tend to have sex on the mind more, sex on the brain, they have all these places for testosterone to uh, dock. Women have responsive sexual desire, but if you don't know about that and you don't know how to access it and the guy's going to take it personally, that you're not jumping all over him like you did when the relationship was new... It's hard to work with that. And the other piece is we also, like you said, having different love, uh, love languages, April, we have different erotic fingerprints. So some people are really explorers and they need a lot of new, some people need the furniture to fly. I write about this in my book. I actually have a little test on my website, what kind of lover type you are. Mm. And when you have new relationship energy, everybody's pretty game to go and it, it kind of levels the differences between the erotic styles. But once that begins to drop off and people go back to their own baseline, their erotic styles might not fit. Like if, if you're a soulful lover and everything's about connection and your partner is one of those rough and tumble lovers, it's not sex until the furniture flies. Once you get at a new relationship energy, you know, people are going to feel disconnects with their sexual style. So again, building the bridges between the love languages, the erotic fingerprints, the uh, attachment styles, and having like a good handle on, Your own wiring enough to be able to navigate that with your partner is going to be a whole lot more fun over the long run. I think it's a I, marathon.
1: Yeah, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint and I think that also as Amy mentioned and and that you both have mentioned it, looking at at relationships and their their progress as an opportunity to shift and and shift within yourself and within your own sexuality and not looking at at, at a, as a burden, right? Oh, it's not the same as it was and I think that's why we have so many amazing listeners and why we have folks like you as experts and proof is in the pudding, right? Like you have been able to do it and you are living this really connective from what I see from you both this connected, beautiful, symbiotic relationship in harmony and it takes work. And that's what I always try to tell my partner.
3: I'm like, bro, it's not going to be easy. Okay. (laughs) And you can even play with it by like kind of making it an interesting project, you know, like read my book together and learn stuff about your attachment styles and your wiring. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say, and I learned this a long time ago, when you are able to be committed to the growth of your partner, Uh as opposed to your status quo of the relationship, who'd want to leave? you Hmm. seriously think about it because even if it's threatening there have been times that we have been threatening it's threatened our attachments just because of kind of where we were are in different places you know what i'm saying in terms of our you know people grow and change and i think when we could hold the space for each other's growth rather than what the relationship was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And then get back to relating, which, you know, the sessions, what's on your mind, what's in your body, what are your dreams?
2: Because
3: mm. that's a lot of what's underneath our, our problems. We both want to feel safe, mm-hmm. but it's from different ways. or we want to explore, you know, that's really, really important
0: okay remind us how do our listeners work with you find you buy your book um come and watch you two have your sessions together just kidding you probably oh, know to that.
3: <laughs> we actually do have something on the website where we demo a session but we're going to come out with a little bit of a kind of a show like a a cartoon i'll share some kind of link for you for your listeners to kind of like look, see us but uh, my website, Ask Dr. Nan, spelled out doctor. I have, You can book a free 15 minute consult with me by phone and um, read my excerpts of my book. I, I have people who listen to your podcast by the book and then call me. They want to do sessions. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really, and when people read the book and they do sessions, oh my God, it goes so fast. Because they've got all the framework. It's really therapeutic coaching. So they can uh, come to my website and get book a free consult with me. And um, follow me on Ask Dr. Nan Twitter, Facebook. Apparently I'm big on pin, Pinterest. Pinterest. I have no idea, but I'm big on Pinterest.
1: You're a big on all you places. You're a, you're a huge... Human star right in front of our eyes.
3: I love and- what I do, and my relationship stuff is what makes me happiest. Mm. Working with people because the quality of our relationships the most important thing for our well being. Mm-hmm.
1: You two are a light and uh, giving me steam, pumping the gasoline in my relationship to to improve and just be the best human and partner I can be. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening to Shameless Sex Podcast and being part of the Shameless Sex Revolution. And if you don't know, now you do, because Amy and I are huge fans of Margins Wine. We drink it all the time. We just received a few new bottles of a beautiful boutique. Boutique Wine, go to marginswine.com, get on that newsletter list because she runs out of Ryan real, real quick. Ryan, she run Ryan. Ryan. And if you haven't done so already, go on iTunes, give us five stars. It just helps more people find the Shameless Sex Podcast, helps them find people like Dr. Nan and John to help improve their relationships. We love you all so much.
0: Ciao for now.